Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, ICH researcher with Heritage NL. On today's episode, we talk with Jerome Canning and Chris Hogan, who are participants in Heritage NL's Mentor Apprentice Program. With over 40 years of experience, mentor Jerome Canning is a master boat builder. A well-known craftsman across the island, Canning has completed over 100 wooden boats during his career. Apprentice Chris Hogan is an experienced carpenter and woodworker with a long-held desire to explore the unique craft of wooden boat building. Hi, Jerome and Chris, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Tara. Thank you. Uh, So just to start off, can you give me a little bit of uh, your background, Jerome, and kind of how you got started in boat building? In the early 70s, 73 or so, my father and my brothers went back fishing. My father retired, took early retirement. He was a mariner with and he took early retirement and said he'll go back to Mearshan Island and fish out of Mearshan Island. My two brothers went with him. I was uh, teaching, or maybe I was working in construction in Labrador, I'm not sure first, but I knew I wanted to go back with them. Uh, and we had a boat that uh, was a small boat. So it was two, my brothers and my father fishing. In order for me to go fishing with them, we needed a license for uh, lobsters and a larger longliner. So what my brothers and I decided to do is that uh, in order for me to go in, I came in with a contract, I bought it, and I said, I'll learn boat building and build a boat. And uh, we built a small boat, first a little a punt, and then another boat, and then a long line following that. So that's how I got into it. But it was the whole thing, it wasn't fishing that I was interested in, it was fishing with my father and my brothers. So that's how it started. That was around, that was 75, 1975. And the first boat that you built, how did you go about building it? Like, uh, did you follow someone along or what was the process of building that first boat? Uh, it was the old way. Uh, you know, we into the woods, uh, got all your timbers, your plank sticks. Um, we got molds from the community of a proven boat. And I went to people's sheds and watched them build and uh, begun and completed a rough boat. And then the next time I built the boat was the Fisheries College at the time, they're now the Marine Institute. They offered a course and I said I'd like to learn. And I did that for two winters, plus built the boat while I was doing it, in, as Chris is doing now. The boat before, the boat afterward, and boat, you know, kept building. Uh, but I started taking courses and uh, that's how I got into it. But I was taught by people who were builders in the community. They weren't from uh, away or something. They were all Sancho Bay people. And they showed us, showed me, uh, you know, how to do it. And Chris, can you explain a little bit of your background and what got you interested in boat building? Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I work at Carpentry. I, I've also got a background in environmental studies, geography, um, and, um, and right, right now, yeah, I work at, uh, renovation carpentry, mostly around downtown St. John's. Um, but boat building is always kind of, maybe, maybe for a lot of people that are into carpentry or woodworking in Newfoundland, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like, a, maybe like the Mecca or, or there's a lot of mystique around it. There's a lot of attraction to, to boats as objects. Um, and for me as well, I always kind of thought the the wooden boat um, as part of as part of Newfoundland's culture and history um, is just so important. It's integral to 
who we were, who we are, <laughs> who we were maybe, um, but who we are as well. And and this kind of you see the you see a kind of a downtrend in the in the number of wooden boats being built, the number of builders on the go. It, it's clearly as Heritage Janelle has identified. Um, uh, yeah, a craft that's under threat or endangered. Um, and um, and something that needs to be actively pursued and worked on to make sure that it, it, it carries forward. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know, all, all, all of that's been percolating in my head for a dozen years at least and, and looking for that kind of opportunity to, uh, to uh, get into uh, boat building. It's, it's, it's not easy, you need, you need space, <laughs> you, need, uh, you need someone to hold your hand and guide you through it. It's, it's not, uh, you know, if you drew me a picture of a square shaped object in the carpentry world, you're very used to, you're very used to dealing with square, uh, you know, level and plumb lines, etc. And, uh, but this is, this is, this is, this is clearly uh, not like that. <laughs> Some of this. Some of it is, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a complicated form, but the form in and of itself is, 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 is just beautiful. Uh, as a wooden object, so that's why that's why I say like amongst amongst a lot of the carpentry woodworker crowd, yeah, wooden boats are kind of like a pinnacle maybe of uh, of, of uh, woodworking pursuit. When I was learning, uh, there was no talking about the boat or the shape that you're doing, not from a, uh, like an instructional component. It would be talked about the boat as a boat on the water, you know what it would become, or and there'd be talk about the woods where to find. You know pieces of wood that would suit the boat. Uh, the instructional method that I use is sort of uh, I do drawings and uh, detailed drawings and I explain as much as I can because uh, most of the people are like Chris, they're very educated people and they're quite used to a classroom whereas when the people who taught me were taught in an environment where uh, literacy uh, levels were much different than what they are today and so it was all doing. But they also began younger. I was in my early to mid-twenties, whereas all the builders that I work with began at 12 and 10. And, hmm. you know, actually, even though I did a little bit of that, uh, but nothing to the extent that they did, because I never thought of my life being a life of boat builder. I saw myself as probably a hippie at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't envision in my late teens that I would become a boat builder. It was really the influence of my father and the ocean that did that. And then, as you know, Chris just saying, with the mystique of a boat really took hold. And, uh, and it wasn't just Newfoundland boats I became interested in. And little boats, these are little boats, considered little boats anyway. But schooners and longliners and fishing boats and speed boats and all took hold. I, I just have to agree that boats are, boats are beautiful. I personally love being on the water, yeah. but one of the things that I find really interesting is uh, oftentimes when you go into a smaller church in an outport, uh, when you look up and it's almost like the shape of a boat, there's been a few that I've walked into and I've, I just thought, wow, this is incredible because you look up and it's almost like the bottom of a boat, like, you know, a boat flipped upside oh, yeah. down. Oh yeah, gothic sea. Yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, uh, you know, what I know about the boat builders, uh, a lot of the boat builders, the good ones that were in the community were the people who lived the uh, construction of those churches. 
And that's what I could you know, only There's lots of knees and everything, you know, and the joinery in that. There's a lot of, that is a big ship joinery, shipwreck. Uh, so can you talk to me a little bit about some of the skills that are necessary to become a good boat builder? Uh, skills. There's a lot of skills in a boat. Um, this boat here, for instance, uh, uh, you had to know, you had to develop good woodworking skills and hand tool use. But the biggest skill is really your eye and training your eye to actually see um, a suant, a word that in boatman is a word called suant, which means harmony and accuracy and balance but you've got to train your eye uh, to actually see where the boat may you know like you can know what a straight line looks at by getting down and sort of using your eye to see that straight line because you see a wobble in it or a hump well it's true of a boat too but except the line that you're looking at is actually curved and has to respond to a curved line that you have in your mind or as we have in our model or on a drawing with the older boat builders, that curved line that they're looking for to reproduce in the boat they're doing is the curved line that's in their mind of a boat that was before them. So they're actually built by eye. So that's a skill that, which is hard to do and hard to attain, but you have to attain this gradually. So that's the biggest skill to learn. And uh, earlier you mentioned kind of how you start with drawing. So can you walk us through what your process is for boat building? Well, when I began, it was, you get a mold, three main molds in a boat. A boat is divided into quarters. You have the stem, the forehook, which is in the first quarter of the boat, the front quarter, the forehook. The mid part of the boat is called midship. And the third quarter is the aft hook and then the counter. So you get these three interior molds between the stem and the counter, and you wrap battens, which are pieces of wood around them, and you build your boat contained within this shell of these battens wrapped around molds. So that's how I learned. And um, then you build by model. I also built that way, which is what you see right here. So you build by that. So you enlarge that. That's the scale, 1 to 12. So it becomes a 12 length scale. Then as I gradually learned more about boat building, I became an architect. So I went to the Marine Institute, the College of Fisheries at the time, and I did naval architecture, a two-year diploma course. So then I learned how to draw boats. And of course, when you learn that, you start learning. Shape has mathematics, and mathematics has real life uh, repercussions. You learn how to balance the boat in your mind, because that's the way, the essential aspect of boat building. You learn balance, how a boat, you foresee the, what it looks like on the water, and how it reacts in the water. But then with naval architecture, you put mathematics behind it. So now, what I do, I draw the boat. And I make these models, but while I'm drawing, I'm doing mathematical uh, evaluations. And then the actual process of uh, building the boat from, you know, your drawing or your model. Where where do you go about that? What what will you and Chris be doing, kind of, after you have kind of your drawings and your model done? The lofting pr process, I guess, is is drawing it then on full scale. So Jerome Jerome starts drawing, uh, you know, uh, uh, on a desk scale. Uh, is it one to twelve. One to twelve. Yeah, yeah. Um, and from from that he makes uh, makes a grid on this little thing on this little page of the drawing, and you create a table of offsets. So it's just a bunch of numbers. It's, 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 but basically, you're 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 overlaying uh, you're you're creating a grid, 
and it allows you then to expand it into a full-scale drone and, and that's the lofting process um, and that allows you to verify your lines yeah so as a 1 to 12 scale which is obviously small um, the inaccuracies of a, a 32nd of an inch which are you know it's a pencil line when you blow that up 12 times on the low floor though well, that's an inch you know or half an inch I forget what it is what well, it's 116 times 12 <laughs> anyway uh, so uh, what that does in full scale loft lines is the same as drawing on paper except it's full scale but what you do with that is that you correct your lines again I use the word like soon and fair you fair your lines so that there's the curves there's no lumps humps bumps and you make sure that those lines are very uh, connected but you know well to you know to the boat that you intend to build uh, then you make your templates from these uh, this two-dimensional floor lofting you make templates and then the templates then become the frames that you put together in the real size boat uh, on the floor and where will you be sourcing your materials for the for this boat in particular yeah good question the local lumber mills will start <laughs> we'll start with lumber mills um, and uh, possibly we, we could make a venture out into the woods, but um, but the hardware store will certainly be a major source of materials. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of the things I developed over the last number of years is that what you have with people who come who are interested. I work at the Wooden Boat Museum. What we do there is teach this uh, one week and one day courses, not like what we're doing here, where we're actually two people. Him in, in particular is building the boat. So people will come and they will learn about boat building. And we know that when they go back to their community or to their homes where they are not living the lifestyle that I grew up with or the people before me who were boat builders, you don't have that in the woods continuously. So you're always sourcing boat timber when you're a boat builder. Even if you're not intending to build a boat, you're always seeing something in that tree that could be a good stem, that could be a good fork, whatever the case may be, because they got the shape, as I was saying earlier, they have the shape of an, you know, the boat that they intend to build and they're always looking out for material. Or they get their friend or an acquaintance or a relative who's also in a bit of woods and they will get that. So we know, and what I found out is that people don't live like that anymore. So we said, okay, when I say we, I, I'm talking about really me and uh, at the time the chair with the wooden boat because we had to make our intentions that, look, where are they gonna get uh, material? So we said, they can get it from, as he just pointed out, a sawmill or a lumber store. And so we started looking at taking a traditional shape boat, building a tradition, except now we're going to use our source is going to come from that source. And it's going to be straight wood that would be bent and glued. So that's the biggest difference. And that's a big difference. I'm curious because I'm not a boat builder and I, you know, I've, I've <laughs> ne never tried my hand at it. But I'm kind of curious because um, I guess my understanding from talking to some people who were boat builders is that you know they might look for a piece of wood that uh, maybe was already curved or already had kind yeah. of a shape to it so if you're buying it in uh, a lumber yard or, or a store like that is it possible to look at uh, wood that's kind of already kind of got a shape or an angle no. or so how does that work well uh, i do have a few pieces that chris will get and we are going to go in the woods by the way um, for a few pieces but they're going to be uh, a few knees so how we get that shape is that if you take a very thin strip of wood, okay, 
over three feet, four feet, that wood, that thin, you know, three sixteenths can bend almost in a circle. So what we do, we do bend eight or ten of them together, okay, put glue in between them, and put them in a mold. So this is part of this process here. They would stay in a mold, and then this epoxy glue, which, you know, that's what we'll use, that would set up. And when it's set up, the shape of this piece of wood that comes out is the same as what you would find in the woods. The other way to do it is, is steam bending, yep. um, but uh, but with kiln dried lumber out of the store, that that's that uh, maybe it's worth experimenting with. Well, we, uh, yeah. But it would work better on yeah. lumber from sawmill green wood. Um, anyway, I, I would like to try. Uh, I don't know how much luck you've had with steam bending over the years, but yeah. I, I would I would like to see if it. I'd like to experiment with it. See. Uh, yeah, I built a lot of boats steam bending. Yeah. Our speed boats were built, all the frames were bent by steam. And you will be doing steam bending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the plank, which is the outer skin of the boat that keeps the water out, that will be um, in the very bottom piece, there's, there's planks, individual planks on the outside of the boat. The very bottom planks are hard to put on the boat because they go in and they have to twist and bend. So you help that along with heat through steam. So that's what we're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. We're going to steam the garbage up. Mm -hmm. big, big steam box. No, no. I applied the steam right where it's needed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when we were doing it years ago, we would, for frames in a speedboat, we would throw this into a big vat, vat <laughs> screaming vat. Uh, no, we would put that into a big steam box and heat the whole piece, even if some of it would remain straight or let very little curve. We would treat the whole piece as if it's going to be had to be tied up in knots, you know. Uh, but in the case, what we're going to do, uh, we look at an area there that needs to twist. We don't need to steam the other fourteen foot of that plank. We just mm. we just steam that uh, two feet. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you take a look at any of uh, the history books in, of, on boats. Uh, they would from the dugout canoe. There were, you know, there's evidence of lots of charring. And throwing water on them to stretch it out. They dig out, scoop out a center, but it wasn't the final shape. They actually would have true steam and true fire. It's the heat, really, true fire. They would uh, push sticks in it, like pressed wood out. Yeah, it's ancient. And now, this boat that you're building, can you describe the method that you're using to build the boat? The whole mold method? Uh huh. Well, Jerome, you should start on that. It's 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 been a, a pet project of yours for, Real, for a few uh, years, a number of years, and it, and it's it's a fascinating story. Well, I, when I started boats, there's a guy named Denny Spurvey. He's from Fox Harbor, and uh, I used to visit him because he always had a boat, uh, you know, on the go, and he was a well-known dory builder in our bay, right? Plus, he built longliners and schooners and everything, but. Uh, when I saw him, all those things weren't being built anymore. So he was at Dory's, and I went down, and he hauled these three pieces of wood out of the, well, the store. You know, he used to build it in the store, and he hauled these three pieces of wood out of the ceiling of the store, and he says, "Do you know what this is?" And I said, "No." <laughs> they looked like drawing birds because you immediately can see the boatiness. Um, but he said he didn't know anything about it. And now Denny Spurvey would be 120 today, um, and. That was my first time ever seeing them. And then, as I was learning boat building, I would notice 
that the builders would have these three pieces of wood. They were these are adjustable pieces of wood called the whole mold method. That's, that's the method we're going to use, the whole mold method or adjustable mold method. Um, you see them with the builders, but they also didn't know how to use them. And when you take a look at them, they're darkened pieces of wood, curved, in the case of two of them, and they would have tick marks on it, you know, like little scribe marks and notched with a, a knife and that. That obviously would show that they had importance. I didn't know anything about it, nor did most of them. But when I started working uh, gradually, it, there was a story to it that boats would be built from these and that they came over from the old country. That's the first European people that came here. They brought over from Southwest England, um, in particular, they brought over these three molds and they built their boat from these three drawing curves. So I said, well, uh, I, I really like to learn that method. And I, uh, I through the Wooden Boat Museum during our interviews, because we document the boats, we ended up talking to a man named Jack Casey, who's now passed on, sadly, fine gentleman. He's from Conch. And we found out that this guy used to build boats using this method. So uh, at that time, that would be Crystal Bray, who I mentioned before this interview. Uh, Crystal had a documentation program with the Wooden Boat Museum, and she found some funding that we could actually go over and see he was at a boat 95 years old, uh, building another boat. Um, and uh, he showed us how, showed me in particular how to use this. And even he, uh, as one of the last people to use this method, only used it for uh, the, the midship bin. And sometimes he used it for the aft hook, but mostly just the midship bin. So that wasn't good enough for me. I, even though he showed me a lot, a lot that I didn't know at the time, I asked and asked and asked, only to find <laughs> that it's actually written about. It, it is actually uh, a lot written about. That, uh, but it's not written about in the way that Newfoundland builders use. It's written about it as from the point of view of architecture, uh, and naval architecture. So there was a book by this guy, and a naval architect, first English uh, book of naval architecture in English language, and I read it, and there's a full chapter on it. And from that, that was a guy named Marmaduke. Uh, Marmaduke was his first name. Very common name today, as you know. <laughs> well used. <laughs> and uh, and these other architects, you know, from the 1600s, 1700s. So between that and what I found out, and in particular, the Winterton Builders, there was a guy named uh, uh, Marcus French, who he used it to shape up uh, the midship bin and the aft hook, and that's on the DAI. Uh, as a matter of fact, so I listened to that and got more information, and I just threw myself into it. And I know it's a long-winded sort of way to explain it to you, but uh, threw myself into it and found out more, and eventually it led to this. I said, I'm going to build a boat and I'm going to put it in the water, and I'm going to use that method. And I experiment and experiment, and the first couple of boats, as we're saying, the process, I did a drawing, used that method, as much as I read and heard and listened to, and I didn't like to look at the boat. It didn't look pump-looking. So eventually it led to this one here, and then I said, okay, I'm happy. When I showed it to a lot of people, this looked like a pump to you. I knew it looked like a pump to me, because I know a pump just as well as mm -hmm. the next person. And I said, yes, boy, that's a pump, mm -hmm. yeah. But I never told them that I used this mold method. So once someone said it looks like a pump, well, that was good enough for me. And I built um, four years ago now, the first boat from that method. So that's the first boat, and the second boat that's going to be built from that method would be Chris's boat. 
but a slightly different one. Yeah. It's going to be Chris's book. We, we changed it up, and he's going to change it, hopefully. Yeah. Is this book that we built here? So, what changes uh, did you make or are you making? Well, we're talking about ch changing j at the at the stem here, um, just the angle of it, slightly. Um, I'm not going to make any serious, serious changes. No. That's what you have in mind. Maybe the counter. Maybe uh, the counter. Counter is a highly visible part of the boat for people. They would, when people look at boats first, uh, you probably always notice that anyone who loves boats are always bent over, looking underneath. Like they always got themselves cocked over at 90 degrees, looking underneath the boat. And in order to see the, on this boat here, uh, I'm going to encourage Chris. That's totally up himself. To change the counter. Okay, so this piece part here, the very stern of the boat, is called the counter. So this will, uh, I'm encouraging him to turn it in. Mm. Just to give um, uh, every boat that's built becomes a signature. Just like you put a signature, write it down on a piece of paper, there's an extension. When you take a look at it, you know that you wrote that signature. And some of those forges, you could probably see the difference. Well, it's true of boats. So when this boat, Probably his son, if he spends lots of time, which I suspect he will, he will see this boat probably just 30 years from now. He will see the signature in he, this building, possibly of those feudal changes. So it becomes an extension of Chris's. And that's important to me because that's what you should learn, is to build, especially at the very beginning. You only want to learn how to build. But if you can put a little bit into it, you sort of assess it. Mm -hmm. So we're encouraging that process too. The interesting thing with this whole whole mold adjustable method too is 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 it became it became a travel like a, a a blueprint for your boat that you can then so these builders or or designers naval architect, ar architects in 17th century England very well could have sent over here with three sticks one of their company men. Uh, somebody, somebody who's in the fishing business, with three sticks in hand, they know then how to build a boat like this. So they're not starting from scratch. Then you know, mm -hmm. fast forward three, four hundred years, people still have these sticks in their sheds here. They're not using that method anymore uh, to build, but but it has it has uh, 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 quite the lineage, I guess. It was a lost lineage. And, and part of the fascinating thing is that Jerome is, you know, dug into it, reverse engineered. How, how did, how was, and it's, it's tied, it's tied directly to the lofting table, which is fascinating because it's, it's a highly technical, skilled, mathematical drawing process of drawing, drawing this object on a two-dimensional surface, but drawing it from three different perspectives. So you're getting, you're, you're representing a three-dimensional object, but on paper, it's it's a it's a technical process. What's also is interesting is that people have in these sheds stages and stuff. They actually have three pieces of wood that are possibly from England. They are there's a possibility that those things survived probably four or five generations uh, and came over from Southwest England in 1670, 1800s. So you actually have something there that's are. You know, it's like the house that you live in. If you lived in your great grandparents' mm -hmm. house, I mean, uh, you know, you're <laughs> you're in a house that has had many stories, right? 
Oh, that's true with these sticks. They have, uh, you know, they, they get reincarnated with each generation and a bit of the knowledge and spirit of it was gradually lost to where we are today. There's no doubt that Chris, when he's got a boat here, is going to be definitely a punt and it's going to be a Newfoundland rowboat. So it'll have its own, be bound down to, I think, a good many generations of people that go right to England. Actually, the method goes right back to Italy, to the uh, beginning of naval architecture. It's actually the first, uh, it was the very beginning uh, of the changeover from uh, science and architecture started. So this method is actually the very beginning of naval architecture. So it's very old. Jerome and Chris, thank you so much. Yeah, All right. great stuff. Right? You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.